been around since the beginning of the series. We're in the third week of On Mission. We're talking about care. How do we as a people, as a church, as Christians, care and love people kind of as that relates to On Mission? You may not realize this, but for guys in my circle, for pastors and theologians to wrestle with this, it's actually a fairly controversial topic when it talks about caring as a church, kind of what is the mission of the church? What should they get involved in and be about? And it seems like you have to choose, right? Are you going to be a church that preaches the truth, that preaches the true gospel in sin? Or are you going to be a church that loves and that welcomes all? Which one is it? Are you going to be a church that cares about people's spirits and souls? Or are you going to care about people not just spiritually but physically? You know, which is it? Are you going to continue to hold on to the true gospel? Or are you going to fall into kind of the social gospel and let go of much of that? Which is it? Are you going to care about people's eternities? Are you going to care about their immediate issues they're facing in life? Which one are you going to choose? And I do think there is a lot to this debate. But as we make it really complex, I want to quote a philosopher that had a very simple philosophy. I think maybe it's both. Maybe both is happening at the same time. If you didn't know that philosopher, that was Forrest Gump. If you remember the end, right? Maybe it's both. Maybe, right? Like maybe Lieutenant Dan and Mama, they was both right. Like, what if we don't have to be forced into this false dichotomy where we got to choose which one? Are you going to be a truth church or are you going to be a loving church? What if it is both and both can happen at the same time and we don't have to pick? Now, I do think it is really important. And here is I feel like because I think there is some tension there. And how do we resolve the tension? I don't think it's from choosing but I do think it is crucial that you get your categories correct. You got to understand when we're talking about caring for people and loving people and get your categories correct. Because when we're talking about on mission, we need to understand what the centrality of our mission is. Pastor Rick kicked us off with a great sermon reminding us the center of our mission is the great commission. But what do we do with the great commandments? And that's what I'm going to look at these two kind of massive verses to help us get our categories correct and how they work together, right? The great commission, as we're talking about on mission, is that. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You have to, and it's confusing because the words are so similar, too. We should have named them something different, right? The Great commission and the great commandment are not the same, and you got to get your categories correct. The ultimate goal of the church, and I think ultimately of Christians, should be to make disciples for people to come to know Jesus and grow in that relationship. That has to be the ultimate goal. But now that doesn't mean we just throw out the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
you see these two, and I want to make sure we understand how these work together. And kind of the easiest way it makes sense in my mind is the Great Commission is the what. It is the bullseye of what we do, and the Great Commandment is the how. How do we go about that? Do you feel some of that difference, right? Like one is the mission, and the other is the motivation. Like we have to get to the point of declaring the gospel with our words. There's a dangerous phrase out there. It says this, preach the gospel always. If necessary, use words. It sounds really nice. That is dangerous and heretical. The gospel is meant to be preached. It is told. It is news. And sometimes I think I just say it out of fear. Like it's safer to be a nice person. It's more a step of faith to tell people about Christ. So I'd say, oh, I'm more of I let people show with my actions. Now that is important to demonstrate God's love, but it can never replace declaring the gospel to somebody, telling them about the good news of Jesus. We have to get these correct. You got to understand what the mission is without letting go of how we go about the mission. I mean, think about it this way. Most of the organizations you're a part of, Redemption Chapel surely is, has it set up where we have our mission. People know Jesus, grow in Jesus, and go advance his kingdom. But with the mission, we also have values of integrity, to take God seriously, not ourselves, right? I'm guessing your organization has the same. The mission and the values, those aren't the same, right? I mean, one of the commandments is don't lie. But it's not the goal and mission of my life to not lie, but that doesn't make it not important. So you got to understand the difference of how these work together. And I know I mentioned Chick-fil-A a lot. To my defense, it's delicious. I love it. But think about it this way, right? Like all organizations, you have a mission, but then you have kind of the motivation. You have your values. Clearly, when you go to Chick-fil-A, you know one of their values is customer service. I mean, they do such a good job at it. And you're like, well, it's my pleasure. We're like, wow, thank you. I didn't know it was your pleasure. Now it's my pleasure that it's your pleasure. Like, they're so welcoming. But imagine you go to Chick-fil-A, and there's a long drive through but they get you through fast. They're good at it. And after all that, everybody's so kind. And even at the guy at the window, he's playing with your kids in the back seat. They always do that because they're so good and kind and friendly. And what if they had great customer service? but no food service. Like super nice, and then you get up to the window, and there's no food. That's a fail in my book. Like when I go to Chick-fil-A, the mission is to get a chicken sandwich with pickles and a Sunjoy and a large fry with buffalo sauce. That needs to happen. Now, if that doesn't happen, I don't care how nice, I don't care how great your customer service is, we have fallen short of the mission. And as Christians... I think we need to be dead clear to make sure we get this right. Our goal isn't to just be nice people, but guess what? We should be nice people. And if you forget what is the main mission, I think as you kind of reach out to your neighbors, you can essentially be kind of modeling a false gospel. If you never tell them about Jesus and what he has done for them, what is their definition? definition of a Christian. Oh, well, they're ju he's just a super nice person. Well, those Christians, aren't they just swell? I mean, they're just super Mr. Rogery, just their whole family. 
I don't ultimately care what your neighbors think of you. I care greatly what they think of Christ. Now, we can't confuse those two. So we need to get our categories right. What is the mission? It's the great commission that they meet Jesus. But how do we go about achieving that? Loving, loving others. We need to get the correct category, but also the priority. Think about this verse in light of that as we talk about mission. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Right? We have to not just think about the immediate. We do have to think about the eternal. How silly is it? If, man, maybe if we forget the ultimate mission and our goal is to just bring clean water to people. That's wonderful. What if everybody has clean water and spends eternity apart from God? Is that a net win? Now, I want to care about education. I want to care about health care, poverty, all those things, as long as we have the categories correct and the appropriate priority. So I want to be clear, that is so important. We can get into mission drift and think, okay, the goal is to just be nice folks. But I don't want to spend too much more time on that. I think it is of utmost importance that we get that right. What is the mission? What is the what before we get into the how? But I don't want to spend too much time because I feel like I'm throwing stones at somebody else's camp, right? The most of the circles I run in, we could be guilty of swinging the pendulum the other way of only caring about somebody's soul and just forgetting about who they are and what they're struggling with in their life. Case in point, here's a perfect example of how it can get so far out of balance the other way. If it's about truth, the gospel, and saving souls and not caring about people. Now, I've never done this, but I heard of people that can think that way, where I don't care about you, I just care about saving your soul. When you go out to eat, and then when it comes time to tip, you go, oh, I, I don't know, we don't, I could leave a money tip, or I can leave a gospel track. That can save their eternity. Wow, that's so much better off. No need to tip when I can give them that. Don't do that. My mom was a waitress. She worked at, served at Eaton Park. It's like a Denny's, just not as classy. But I mean, she would, every one of those dollars we would count, it mattered so much. And then we can go and just be so uncaring about people. We cannot miss on either way. So yes, we need to be careful that we don't forget the mission. But then we got to remember, I think this quote helps me sum it up. We need to be careful, but we also need to care. I think people in my circles pound the drum. Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He didn't just do good deeds and forget that he did a lot of good deeds. Right? We want to make sure people know he died for sins. And that's true. But he also cared about people, had compassion for all of their needs. You think of all the different kind of TV shows and contests out there. I mean, if there was a contest in who is the kindest person in the universe, Jesus would win. So I think as we go about remembering our mission, we can forget how we're supposed to go about it. I mean, look at the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater. In Jesus' mind of values, 
of how Christians should be, this is the tippy top for him. I mean, think of all the commandments that we can get behind all the rules. We can make church and Christianity about all the rules and forget the golden rule to love our neighbor as ourself. I mean, just apply that. Do you care about your physical health? Do you care about paying your bills? Do you care about all those things? Yes. Well, then you should care about that for your neighbor as well. Love, biblically speaking, is always demonstrated action, not just a general disposition. For us, when we say love, we're usually talking about that disposition, like, I love you. No, I love you. I love you. I love you so much more than you love me. I love you the most. (laughs) We're just talking about that disposition. Biblically, love is demonstrated action of caring for another, and we need to forget. I mean, we need to not forget with keeping the mission in view that this is what we were called to be. There's so many different ways I can go about this. There's so many passages in the Old Testament of talking about how God's people should care for the needs of others. The prophets rail on them. That is one of the biggest evidences that you are a Christian, that you follow God, is you care for people. I mean, so much of our Christian heritage, Christians can get dogged for, oh, that they manipulated it to you know, use slavery, but you also can forget it was actually Christians that kind of led the way in freeing people from slavery and abolition. So I can highlight so many different things, but I think of so many characters in the Bible that did this so well, kept their categories correct, remembered their mission, but loved people really well. There's one guy I want to highlight, and I'm like, oh my gosh, his name's slipping me. Jesus! (laughs) Right? I mean, think about the life of Christ. He had perfect balance of focus on the mission of God. Salvation, eternal salvation. But can you think of a time where Jesus also cared for people's physical needs, had compassion on their immediate need? I think there's this story from Luke 5 that highlights this so well. Let's look at this together. Famous story, and behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Think about that for a minute. Who is this guy? We don't know his name. He's paralyzed. Why did he come to Jesus? Because he's paralyzed. Why did they drop him before Jesus? Because he's paralyzed. And what does Jesus say? Your sins are forgiven. Like that had to be a weird moment, right? Like, wow, cool. That's awesome. Like, I don't want to be ungrateful. Super awesome. The sins thing. Can we, maybe the legs thing. Could we get into that too? Because that's kind of why I'm here. And Jesus, that's why I love this story, highlights perfectly. He knew this man's deepest need was his forgiveness of sins, his eternal salvation. And so as the man comes with him for a physical need, Jesus reminds him of his greatest need. And he forgives him of sins. Most, I'm sure, on some level are familiar with this story and you know where it goes. You also know where it doesn't go. 
Think of so much of how churches can respond. Oh, well, let me just pray for you. Oh, sorry to hear about that, but let me pray for you. Let me tell you about your soul. I mean, Jesus didn't go, oh, you're paralyzed. Come to me with this need. And he didn't say your sins are forgiven. Super bums about the legs, though. Oh, man, I'm low-key bummed out about that. Well, sorry. Bye. Did he ignore the physical need and only address the spiritual? No. Most of you know where the story goes. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins... He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. He meets him in the physical need, which often drives to the spiritual need. He heals the man's legs. He doesn't just ignore his physical need. We don't know the guy's name, but I like to call him Lieutenant Dan because he got new legs. Remember, (laughs) Lieutenant Dan, you got new legs. Okay, sorry. Last Forrest Gump, I promise. I promise. We got to keep going. Right? But you see, here's the deal. Do not confuse it. You have to know what your mission is, but don't divorce it either. Jesus connected them. Jesus met people in their physical need, which ultimately led to an opportunity to dive into their greatest need, but that you may know the Son of Man. Constantly healing people, constantly helping them in their physical need. So as we go about on mission, once our mission is in place, I want to free you up to be the most kind, loving, gracious, caring, compassionate people. Because that is what God called us to be. And think about this. How often do you want to just minister at people, yell at them about God's love, and wonder why they don't want to hear it? I love this quote. I've heard it from so many people. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Right? I want everybody to know about Jesus and what he's done. But how often am I going to be much more effective in them sharing once I care for them and and they know that I love them? We don't have the option to separate these. We are called as Christians. Connect how we love people with our mission. I mean, this verse, it's unavoidable. First John. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Don't choose. In fact, we're not allowed to choose. We are called to do Both just get your category and priorities straight. This is so key. We don't just get to tell people and just declare Jesus' love. We're called to demonstrate it. You can't over-spiritualize that. The world's goods. We're called to care for people in real, practical ways. I had a great lecture recently on the third commandment, the Ten Commandments. Most of you are going back to Sunday school. Wait, no other God, carbon... Lord's name in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. And what what is that always taught? What does that mean? You don't say Jesus Christ. Did I just break it? I said it. The only problem, we always say that to mean, you know, don't use God's name as a cuss word. That's probably safe. Like, don't use God's name as a cuss word. Let's kind of tuck it under that umbrella. 
But you ever get the vibe of how it's so much more than that? See, the word, it doesn't say don't say the Lord's name. It says don't take. That word is to bear, to proclaim the Lord's. You can also say it, it is to wear the Lord's name. The professor said what he is concerned about is false advertising. Don't be a person that wears the name of Christ and utterly misrepresents him by the way that we are selfish and unkind and uncaring for others. That is using the Lord's name in vain. To call myself a Christian, to say, I follow Jesus and my life looks nothing like him. Jesus was full of compassion and kindness. I can't call myself a Christian and then completely misrepresent him. We are called to care for others. This John Piper quote, I think, sums it up well. Christians should care about all suffering, especially eternal suffering. And I think that's helpful, at least it is for me, to hold those together. We care. We're doing divorce care right now. And I'll be honest, maybe you're in that class. If you're in divorce care and you don't know Christ right now, I a million percent want you to come to know Jesus. That's what I hope happens ultimately in that class. But that doesn't mean I only care about that. You know what? Even if you don't, I care that you're in pain because I care about all suffering. And if anybody born in the image of God is suffering, we as Christians are called to care because Jesus cared. And we are to follow him. We can't disconnect these. We have to do both. This is always part of God's plan. This is, I think, helpful. I want to look at another passage together. This is Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Listen how these are put together. So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see how those are connected. Christians are to be salt and light to demonstrate Jesus' love so we have an opportunity to declare his love for them through the gospel. I think we do miss out on a lot of this. Like, I think we get the light illustration. But I think the salt illustration is lost on us mostly because we have refrigerators. I don't know if you've ever heard this, but, you know, refrigerators didn't always exist, Right? So before modern-day refrigeration, what did they do to preserve meat? Salted it. Salt isn't just for seasoning. When we think salt, I think, well, its job is to make my French fries and Triscuits delicious. That's the point of salt. There is so much more biblically when in that culture, it was a preservative to preserve decaying of meat. I watched like a 10-minute thing on salting and how it works. I almost never watch a 10-minute video, but it was guys like in the UK and they had a British accent, so it was just fun to watch. But it was crazy. They just cut you know, a pig in half, salted one, not the other, and then tested after a week. There was 10,000 times the amount of bacteria on the unsalted pig. 
As Christians, your workplace, your neighborhood should be 10,000 times better off because you and your good deeds and your love and your kindness are there. That is our job. That is God's design. As I get older, I'm amazing how I get more protective and I get, you know, a little more cynical towards the world. And it's just funny, as I get older, I'm just like, kids these days, you know, oh man, the schools and the morals these days. And So I, if you're with me, I don't, sorry, but we can get to that place. And what's wrong with the world? It's going to hell in a handbasket. And what needs fixed? What's wrong with our schools? What needs fixed? New legislation. What's going to fix our health care? I got to get the right politicians in there. That's what's going to fix it. What's going to fix morality? And then we think, oh, you know, what's going to fix health care? They just need more funding. You know what Jesus' answer to stop the decay of our society is? Christians. Christians being the salt and light in their neighborhood as things in your workplace is just going downhill. It is our job. And I, it was actually interesting. You know, it works. The bacteria that leads to decay needs water. So the salt absorbs the water and takes all the power out of the bacteria. And what a picture as Christians. We should absorb the hate in this world to keep our society, our schools from continuing to decay. We need to share God's love, his kindness. It reminded me when we were in the hospital a while back our kids have had multiple surgeries. I couldn't even remember what surgery it was. We were going in, and that's a hard place, right? I'm going to the hospital. My kid is in pain and needs to have surgery. Do we have any, like, doctors, nurses, anybody in the medical field? Raise your hand. Can we just give a round of applause for all those folks? Like, you have a great ministry. Because that's a tough spot. So we're in this hospital. You know, my kid is crying in pain. We're going through this suffering, and it is a heavy place. You know, post-surgery, you're finally able to get out of the room, and it just feels heavy. We're wondering, you know, are we going to be okay? And in this hard spot, we're kind of roaming around the hospital. We go to the elevator, and, you know, they have the buttons, and we'll say, oh, that's the parking deck, that's this, and main lobby. We were up at UH in Cleveland. On one of the buttons, it just said Angie's Garden. It caught my eyes. We, you know, again, we're just holed up in this hospital. Life is just hard. Your kid's sick. So we hit that button, and then we walk out of the elevator, and we walk into Angie's Garden. And in that hard place, it was just a breath of fresh air. Right? Like in that hospital, it felt so heavy and hard. And it felt dark for us. And then we stepped out. And we experienced this light and beauty and goodness. And felt like we could breathe for the first time. And it really stuck with us. You know, it was so hard on our kids. And then seeing them playing and enjoying themselves again. And as we talk about being salt and light, to me, that was a beautiful picture of what us Christians should be. 
to go into dark places and bring hope and love and light, to reach out to hurting people and let them know that there's still goodness, that they're still cared for. Even as we're involved in foster care, I think that's a beautiful picture of what a foster home could be. It could be this little Angie's garden. These kids that have gone through such hard things can go to a place where they are loved and experience some fresh beauty and love. So I want you as a Christian, we need to be about what God calls us to be. Don't forget the ultimate mission of introducing Christ, but as we go about it, will we be salt and light? You don't need to overthink it. We don't need to make it complex. You don't have to open a children's home, but is there someone that you can show kindness to? Do you know somebody struggling? Reach out to them. Write a card. Write a note. We are called to be salt and light. I want to close with one more verse. And I think it's just a good take home, right? We need to end practically. The care sermon should be really practical. Care for people. Look how Galatians says it. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. And I like it says, as we have opportunity, right? Like, I am constantly being bombarded with different asks of, will you give me this? Will you give me that? Now, I can't give to everything, but as we have opportunity, who is it that God is bringing across your path that is struggling and hurting? What if, you, I hear this, we talk about kind of waitresses already, that people, servers don't want to work on Sunday because the church crowd comes. And they are the meanest, worst tippers. Listen to me, if you're going out to lunch today, and especially if they catch you praying, for the love, don't just leave a track, leave a big tip. I know some of you with the bumper stickers, you don't want to put the redemption sticker on your car because you want to drive like a maniac and you don't want to have it reflect poorly on the church. That's between you and the Lord. Now, when you apply this, right, if you go out and your server sees you praying, what if just today you just leave a stupid over-the-top tip and tell them, man, God has blessed me, I want to bless you. I mean, what are we afraid of? The Bible, Jesus said it. We're more blessed to give than to receive. So if that's true, you'd be happier if today, instead of going out to lunch like you always do, went in, paid for somebody else's meal, and left. Now, some of you are like, but I go out to lunch every Sunday. It's okay. You can still go to lunch. But what if just today, just buy somebody else's lunch? Just bless people. Like, what are we so afraid of? To be kind and caring. Listen, you don't have to overthink it. I'm not saying everybody needs to open a children's home. Who in your work is struggling? And I don't want you, like, right, keep your eyes open for opportunities to love and bless people. I want you to do that this week. But as we think of on mission, I really want to challenge you not to just wait for it passively. Who are you intentionally going to invest in? Who is it in your workplace is struggling? Take somebody out to lunch. Buy somebody lunch. Just talk to the person at work that nobody else talks to. So I want you to decide right now, who is it in your workplace that you're going to start caring for and maybe even open up an opportunity to share Christ with?
Who is it in your neighborhood where you're watching decay and you're watching just darkness take hold in people's lives that you can reach out to and love them? I want you to think intentionally. Man, who are you going to start caring for and caring for practical needs and being kind to folks so that hopefully you can get them to see their ultimate need for Christ and they can experience him? Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, I think we all need to confess how we fail at this. You call us to love others. You call us to be salt and light. And yet I fly through my day and I think I'm so busy and I have all my agendas. God, how often you bring us opportunities and we miss it because we're so busy with our head down getting to what we think we need to do. God, help us to invest in our neighborhoods, our schools, God, our coworkers. God, and ultimately he confess I'm just selfish. I care more about myself, but help us to follow you and care about our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen.